From GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower. To the folks who don't have full-time staff to work on energy issues, they're running a business that, that occupies most of their time, how can we make it simple and easy for them to take advantage and, and help us move the sustainability efforts forward? That was Chris Clark, president at XL Energy. He sat down with Bill Weil, former sustainability manager at Facebook, and Neha Palmer, head of energy strategy at Google. They talked about how to push and pull companies, utilities, and the public toward 100% renewable energy. Let's listen in. How many of you were at the REBA event earlier this week? Show of hands. Great. So this is this panel's kind of for you, and but also for us. And it's also one of my geekiest favorite technologies, renewable energy. And I'm going to start out by saying energy does not equal electricity. And so we're going to explore renewable electricity um, during this discussion, but we're also going to just explore other paths to renewables, including, you know, what do you do with transportation? And what does the decarbonization mean, right? How can we decarbonize as well as go renewable? So I have a terrific panel up here with me. Um, I will introduce them. Bill Weil, he was the former um, sustainability director at Facebook. Neha Palmer is with Google, and I'm, I can't see your title exactly, but you're head of energy, energy strategy, I think. Um, exactly. And Chris Clark, and you have a long title, but um, he's with <laughs> Excel <can> Energy, um, in, in, and he, he lives in Minneapolis where I was born, so, but that's the, the, the region that he, that he handles. And what I asked each of these um, folks to consider, I was going to actually, actually ask you for one adjective for the, the performance we just saw, but I will I'll take you off the hook. I won't throw a zinger out at you. Grade, grade the renewable electricity movement you know, quickly, and then give me one thing that would help improve that grade. Bill. A plus. Okay. <laughs> I'm not so, sure. I, and I meant to start with you, but yeah, okay. I didn't, so there you go. We, we, I mean, you, you look at where we've come over the last five or, you know, even going back 10 or 12 years, it's extraordinary. And I think we should celebrate that. Where do we, so yes. And then we look at the IPCC report and we say, well, where do we need to be? It's okay, well, from that perspective, maybe not so good. I was gonna say B plus, but with an upward trajectory. Um, you know, we're in many different markets across the world and we've seen tremendous acceleration, particularly here in the US, but I think there's still a lot of work to do in many locations. So I'm hopeful that this acceleration will translate across the globe. I think I'd come in at a B plus as well, although tempted to split it with an A minus here. I, I think there's been tremendous progress, uh, tremendous leadership. When I look at our own programs, I see room for improvement and things that we can continue to do better. So I'm excited about the progress we've made and I'm really optimistic about what's in front of us. You know, and I should, should have said, and I don't think I put this adjective in there, but we're talking about the US market when we say that, right? Not, not necessarily the same grades outside the U.S. That's um, fair. Different regions are fair, right? Um, so I will make that point, just to, because to, I know there's a lot of movement happening, starting to happen in international markets. We'll probably go there in a moment. But um, Chris, when, when I look at the companies that I cover and uh, the renewable energy, electricity specifically, movement, I hear a lot from the big companies, right? The, the, the ones that have the power to influence uh, policies in different in places, they've got a lot of buying power. 
what can a small or mid-sized organization do to help participate, to be able to participate in this movement? And how are, you know, what, what are you seeing there? So, Well, I think there are great opportunities to get involved locally. We have a lot of nonprofits who engage in energy issues in our area, and I think that those have helped us shape programs that are available to all customers. I think the leadership that the larger companies have provided is a great platform, and it now sets us up for us for our programs to make it easier, simpler for customers to engage and let us move that down. Uh, to the folks who uh, don't have full-time staff to work on energy issues, they're running uh, a business that, that occupies most of their time, how can we make it simple and easy for them to take advantage and, and help us move the sustainability efforts forward? What's your, um, you know, just to build on to that, uh, what is your sort of biggest challenge in helping do that? I think it's uh, getting the process to move more quickly. Uh, by nature, our industry and our regulators have had a very conservative, very let's keep reliability, safety, and affordability at the forefront. I think we now have an opportunity to really engage in the policy discussion. Uh, we have a lot of interest, customers, communities, at all levels wanting to uh, have solutions to the issues that we all know are pressing. And so, I think it's figuring out how do we get more products to market, how do we get more solutions to market, whatever your structure of your regulated, regulated or unregulated, how do we bring those to customers so that they can participate and we can move the ball forward? Great. Now, Neha, you, your company um, matched 100% of its electricity consumption last year with some sort of renewable electricity. So that statement came out last year. Last week, you, um, your team put out a, an interesting discussion paper that, that, that sort of takes the conversation to a different place. Um, and and what, what you're now embracing is a longer-term challenge, sourcing carbon-free energy on a 24 by 7 basis. Explain the distinction. Sure. So when we uh, set our goal back in 2012 to be 100% renewable, what we meant was 100% renewable match. So that means across the globe, across the calendar year, for every kilowatt hour that we consume as Alphabet, we're buying and matching it with a kilowatt hour of physical renewable energy. Um, so that means there's times when the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing that we are still consuming electricity, but there's not an equivalent amount of renewables being produced. Or in some hours, uh, there's more renewables than we are consuming. And then in some regions, we might be producing more than we consume in that grid and others we produce less than we consume in that grid. So we realize that the 100% match is really just the beginning. If we think about these uh, large data centers where I'm focused, they're still grid connected. And we are still pulling power from the grid in, those, in every hour. And there might be hours where, again, we don't have renewable energy matching. So we started out trying to figure out how do we even approach measuring what this is. So we uh, developed a methodology to measure this and a visualization of this called a carbon heat map. But we looked at three different things. In every single grid, every single data center where we're operating, what is our consumption in every single hour of the year? So all 8,760 hours. What is the carbon e intensity Energy people grid? know how many hours I in the year there are. You don't, you don't have to do the math. Yes. Uh, <laughs> in case there's someone who uh, has not uh, have that seared into their memory. Uh, and what is the grid doing all of those hours? And so what carbon-free uh, resources are on the grid during those hours? And by carbon-free, we mean wind, solar, biomass, nuclear, uh, hydro. And then layering on our renewable energy program. 
So in those same hours, what is the impact of our renewable energy purchases? And so what we ended up with was some very fascinating data. Um, there are some regions that we operate in that are already quite green and quite um, carbon-free. Um, other regions are not so carbon-free, but what we found was in those regions where we did have significant renewable energy purchases, they were making a really big difference in terms of the number of hours where we were using carbon-free energy. And so the long-term goal for us, and the visualization is actually green is carbon-free and brown is brown, uh, the goal is to have a completely green uh, grid for those, all the hours of the year. And this is a long-term goal. It took us five years to get to the 100% match. Um, there'll be a lot of levers that we'll have to pull. It'll be policy, technology, storage, um, and then markets and commercial structures. But the goal ultimately is to make the maximum carbon impact, is to match our consumption with this carbon-free energy in every single hour. You're also talking about the, the carbon equation as well when you, when you talk about renewables. So. Absolutely. We're very focused on delivering solutions for our customers who want to hit that 100% renewable goal. A lot of communities and customers start with that, but we also see a responsibility as the utility to decarbonize or reduce the carbon footprint of the grid. Uh, we're on track to be 60% renewable and 85% carbon free by 2030, and, and my internal goal with my CEO is how can I beat that both in time and in amount. So. Uh, tremendous opportunities in front of us, and it's actually great to see the conversation evolving. The renewables generate excitement, but the goal is actually to maximize the carbon reduction that we can achieve. So I think we're going great places, and we just need it to catch on and, and keep going. Now, nuclear is part of that, though, for you, right? It is. Uh, we have three nuclear units on our systems that will operate until the early 2030s under their current license, and for us, really, the question uh, that we'll work through with our policymakers is the opportunity to re retire coal plants ahead of the nuclear plants and then just embrace the amazing innovation. I saw some of the presenters earlier talking about the future technologies they're exploring. We know that we couldn't have predicted we'd be in this, this great place 10 years ago, and we have a tremendous opportunity when we think about what innovation technology uh, and the use of data are going to allow us to do in the future. You know, we talk a lot about solar and wind. That seems to be when we, we write about renewable electricity, all the journalists focus on that. What other sources do you feel are, you just mentioned a few, I want to go back to that in a moment, but what, what other sources do you feel like we're overlooking? Do you have a, a In sense terms of, of clean sources, I mean hydro, it, large hydro has real impacts. Low, small, low impact hydro actually can be much better in terms of the other environmental impacts and can be done at scale. Nuclear is zero carbon. Um, we can have a separate discussion maybe about the other issues potentially with nuclear, but I think there's a lot of research going on and a lot of investment going into mm -hmm. new forms of nuclear that might have um, less safety issues, less issues with waste, et cetera, et cetera. And if they can be done at low enough cost, I think those could be a huge contributor. But mm -hmm. today, the clean sources that we have that we can deploy at scale are pretty much wind and solar. Geothermal um, in very restricted areas, but it's pretty restrict restricted geographically. But I would come back to, I mean, your point about innovation, I think, is really key. You know, 12 years ago, I was hired, at, 12 and a half years ago, I was hired at Google, and I think I was the first hire on the corporate side to think about climate and energy. And since then, the company, I mean, I had no clue what I was doing, truly. <laughs> um, but we figured out a lot of stuff. and and. It took us four and a half years to do our first deal. 
and that was in 2010. It's now been eight years, and now you guys are at 100%, and you're doing deals left and right. That's extraordinary, and part of that is because of what happened with the technology that meant that the cost of wind and solar came way down far faster than I think any of us predicted 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think the question today is, okay, what, what's gonna be that next leap in technology? It's hard to predict exactly which one. I think the important thing, actually I think Michael Terrell said this yesterday in the REBA panel, um, there's a famous quote that the best way to predict the future is to invent it, and I, I would add to that a corollary. The best way to invent something is to first imagine it. And what we want is a carbon-free grid. We can imagine that now we need to go make it happen. We don't know exactly how it'll happen, mm -hmm. but I'm confident that we can make it happen. What we really need to do is make it happen quickly, given all the stuff in the news recently. So, um, Bert, Neha, uh, this, how will this sort of shifting vision affect where you're focused? I mean, So we'll continue to focus on renewable energy, because as I mentioned, it really <clears throat> does actually make quite an impact on the number of hours we're able to operate carbon-free uh, on a grid, especially the browner it is. Um, so we'll continue to do that. Um, new geographies, as I mentioned, um, I know that we're focused and we're sitting here in the U.S., but we have operations across the globe, and there's many regions where we still need to crack the renewable energy problem. And so we'll focus on entering renewable energy markets in those places where we operate. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the, the three pillars I think about are policy, um, making sure that there's the right incentives in the market to incent carbon-free energy, um, technology, uh, storage feels like it's right on that cusp that we might have been with solar five years ago. Um, and there's really exciting things in relation to reliability um, that can be uh, met with storage. So that's really exciting. And then the markets. Um, again, the markets need to be structured in a way that allows customers to engage with the energy choices that they want to make, allows utilities to also make the decisions um, that help meet their customers' needs. So. Um, I think it's a little bit of more of the same, the 100% is the beginning, uh, but thinking about how we can um, change the paradigm a little bit more to think more about carbon as opposed to just the match. All right, I have one question for Chris, and then I'm going to go over to you, Elaine. How can Excel influence other sorts of energy, right? So you're elect we think of you sure. as an electric utility. Electric vehicles, like that's the whole transportation thing. How does, how does you play a role in, in helping decarbonize that sector? We're really excited about the potential with transportation. Taking our grid to 85% clean energy, uh, we want to spend as much time helping to turn the focus to electrifying the transport sector. We'll let the innovation play out over the 20s. But I would really love to see the transportation sector take off, and it feels like that is moving both from the industry side and from the grassroots side about people getting excited about this, people recognizing that. And not only that, uh, communities embracing it for busing and schools. I think school buses are a big uh, area. It's a fun area and it's one that everybody sat behind that school bus at a stop sign when it blasts out that burst of, from the diesel and you think of the kids on the bus and you think, okay, let's go there next. That seems like a good place for us to tackle. So I think there's, Tremendous uh, opportunity in Great. transportation. Great, thank you. Elaine, I'd love to take a question from Sidebar. Man, we got some wonks in this audience. <laughs> of course um, we do. I have to ask some more accessible questions. However, you can harass them later during the network reception. At the reception for... where you will be trying the technology. <laughs> Yes, but in the meantime, something that's a little bit more accessible. Um, if policy is a key factor, which obviously you guys were talking a little bit about, um, what's the role of corporations to lobby for clean energy? 
like actually substantive change? I'll take that. I'll start, especially since I don't have a PR guy who's going to whack me if I say <laughs> something bad um, at the moment, since I'm currently unaffiliated. Um, companies have done an enormous amount in the last, particularly five years, to lobby for policies that help them meet their clean energy goals. And they have advocated at the 60,000-foot level for the Paris Agreement and things like that. But I think where there's been a disconnect mostly up to now is companies don't jump in on issues that aren't directly germane to the operational commitments they've made. And I think that needs to change because I don't see how we move at the speed we clearly need to move. You know, we've got the, the reception coming up in a couple minutes and I saw an article yesterday that, that said that barley is gonna be affected by climate change pretty dramatically and that means beer is gonna get expensive and scarce which is gonna cause the Supreme Court chambers, I think, to erupt in chaos. <laughs> and we won't be able to have our reception, or it'll be twice as expensive. So if that doesn't motivate you, well, pick your motivation. We need to move faster. And it's clear, I think, that technology is gonna matter and markets are gonna matter, but at the speed we need to move, policy is essential, and that's not gonna happen without companies who care about climate weighing in on decarbonization, whether it's directly relevant to their energy consumption or maybe it's about fleets, even though they don't have a fleet. That's my feeling. Some agreement. You do have a PR person who will whack you, but where do you I do, want to but go? I'll jump in on this. I think, I think customers participating in the process helping shape policy is critical. Uh, different companies have a different level of time and ability to commit to that, but there are groups that they can join that help send that signal. The leadership of uh, the companies that obviously that you two have been with and, and represent and Reba and others are really helpful. So it's important and it helps that it's not just the utility telling it, it's, a, it's customers helping move the discussion. You wanna, you're gonna leave that one, right? No, I, I, I'll echo that. You know, we're on the, on the heels of Reba here and I think the, the goal is go from 50 to 50,000 companies. Um, definitely, you know, putting our voices together, we've seen has been very impactful. Um, and allows us to dip our toes into issues that might not be germane, but are important um, for the corporation. So um, I just echo that. I think yeah. that um, the collective voice is actually quite strong. There, there is also, you know, I think companies are often worried about risk in speaking out. There's a lot of safety in numbers. And I think the point about, you know, companies don't necessarily have the resources, that's a choice. If you've got a company with 50,000 or 100,000 employees, two or three or four more people who are experts in climate or energy or whatever policy. It's like, that is not gonna show up on their, you know, 10K. So that, that is, in the end, a choice. And at some point, I think we need to push companies to make maybe different choices. What do we need to talk about more then? What, what do we need to push more on right now? Specific topic. Elect again, going back to electricity has gotten a lot of attention. Where should we be upping the volume? I mean, I think electricity has gone like gangbusters, but it still needs customer pull and customer push on policy to, to keep moving faster, especially internationally. But other sectors like transportation or building efficiency or agriculture or industry are maybe where electricity was 10 or 15 years ago in terms of decarbonization. And if we wait until we've got electricity solved to start pushing hard on those, it's way too late. So I think those who care about climate need to start pushing on those as well. 
I do think the policy piece is important, but also the action, right? Um, I think that the acceleration we talked about at the beginning of the conversation is continuing, and it's you have this force of corporations making choices demanding that utilities supply what they want, which is renewable energy. And so I think in addition to the policy, you need the action. Um, so there's, I, I think it's two sides of the same coin. Um, you have to make sure both are happening in tandem. And I'd just jump in with one final thought, and that is, we have a lot of consensus here to help drive to positive change, and I think we can do it in a way that's a constructive dialogue that talks about the value streams that come from this transformation that we're making. And I think avoiding that temptation to let this debate become polarized like many others in our society do uh, is a positive place where companies uh, have a very effective voice at the table, and that customer drive really helps us as we're working with all different kinds of stakeholders and policymakers to talk about the, the great potential that we have here. So I feel like we just opened the door, but we have to close it because <laughs> we have to go out to the reception. But please thank Chris Neha and Bill for their time today. Thank you all. You've been listening to Chris Clark of XL Energy, Bill Weil, formerly of Facebook, and Neha Palmer of Google talk about decarbonizing energy at the Verge 18 conference in Oakland in October 2018. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening. <laughs>